This is Talk Medicine with Rob Bennett and Michigan Primary Care Partners of Big Rapids on WBRN. We're back with segment three and welcome to Talk Medicine with Dr. Rashmi Juneja from Michigan Primary Care Partners in Big Rapids at michiganprimarycarepartners.com. Also, I'm Rob Bennett and this is News Radio WBRN sponsored by Metron of Big Rapids. Caring for people one person at a time. We've been uh, talking about asthma this morning, and the one thing that I wanted to ask you about was exercise-induced asthma. Uh, It's a fairly common variant of asthma. It is defined as a condition in which exercise or vigorous physical activity triggers acute bronchoconstrictions in persons with heightened airway activity. Uh, the patients may have normal lung tests at rest, but then when they exercise, it it sort of triggers a reaction in their body, and they are uh, not able to breathe as well as they did prior to exercise. Uh, it, many of these athletes actually are elite or cold weather athletes, and one of the theories is that uh, when they when we breathe through the nose, our nose will little condition the air a little bit, make it come to room temperature. And then uh, also mix it a little bit with moisture from the mucous membrane and from the oxygen. But when you are uh, exercising very rapidly, uh, the airway airways are not able to keep up with the demand of the air. And the nose can only inhale so much air. And that's what triggers this reaction because of the abnormal heat and water fluxing into the bronchial tree. Hmm. There are many factors that contribute to exercise-induced bronchoconstriction. Uh, Most of them are exposure to cold air or dry air. There could be environmental pollutants out there that the patient is inhaling. Also, the level of hyperreactivity of the bronchiole, as well as the duration and intensity of exercise. Uh, It is also worse if the patient has a coexistent respiratory infection. So is it something that now with exercise-induced asthma, is that something that is treatable uh, and then it's, it's done? Is it just when you exercise? It's usually when they exercise. Yeah. They don't have it all the time. So that's something that they can uh, treat at that time and then it's and then should be okay to exercise? Yep, yep. And and interestingly enough, it has what we call a second refractory period. So let's say the patient exercises. They have a little bit of asthma, uh, and then they take a little break, and they go and exercise again. They don't have the same reaction. So we don't really know why they have this little refractory period where the asthma doesn't really worsen. Hmm. So that's an interesting tidbit, you know, nothing to do with the... The care of asthma. Yeah. So is it? Is it? Do we we don't know all there is to know about asthma, or we do know? We is that is is there kind of a middle ground there that we we know everything, or we still have questions that we need answered? I don't think we know everything. We yeah. don't know what triggers what. We know that uh, when the cells are exposed to uh, the cold, the mast cells start to degranulate and they release the chemicals, but then why do they do that? We don't know that. Well, I know when I walk out in the cold, it just, it, it kind of takes your breath sometimes, doesn't it? It I sure mean, does, yeah. but you know, unless it's triggering, wheezing, and severe shortness of breath, that's really not exercise or cold-induced asthma. Right. 
Yeah, and so what do we do about asthma? What are, what is what is the obviously the first thing if you think you have it is to get checked out. That's right. So the first thing to do is uh, when you see your primary care provider, discuss with them what you are feeling or what's going on. And uh, if we do a spirometry, that gives us a very quick answer as to whether the patient has asthma or not. So you breathe into a machine, and that machine will measure the volume of your lung. Then you're given a certain medication, and you breathe again to see how much improvement there is. And if you have asthma or hyperreactive airway disease, usually with the second set of spirometry after the treatment with bronchodilator, there'll be a significant improvement in the FEV1. Mm-hmm. It's very easily treatable, and uh, not treating is, is not a good idea. Just because, as I mentioned earlier, the scarring and remodeling in the lung, once that occurs, it's hard for us to change that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that it obviously it's not something that you mess around with. This is something that can be deadly. It can be deadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the U.S. asthma mortality rates in 2009 were reported at as one death per hundred thousand patients. Mortality or death is usually uh, related to uh, lung function. <clears throat> And the patients have a, who have untreated asthma have an eight-fold increase in dying from it. So if you have treated asthma, your risk is about eight times less. Wow. The it's... other factors that are very important is cigarette smoking. So if the patients smoke and they have asthma, their mortality is much higher. And well, that seems to... Now that... <laughs> Again, now we've we've talked about smoking before, and yep. I, and when we when we talked about smoking, it just seems like if you're going to be putting smoke into your lungs or anything into your lungs, and you have asthma, that just doesn't. I mean, to me, I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. a doctor, and that I know that that seems wrong. Yes, <laughs> yes. So there's a much higher mortality in smokers versus non-smokers with asthma. But that just says one thing to me, and that that is that nicotine addiction has to be super bad in order for people to do that. Yes. What, yes. I mean, that's just something that is, is it's a tough, tough it's thing. It's tough, tough, tough thing to get off of just because nicotine is one of the most addictive substances known to mankind. Wow. But if you have asthma and if you are smoking, that is a deadly combo. Now, are there certain certain foods that will trigger asthma? Yes, sometimes certain food can trigger it too. For example, shrimp or peanuts, they can cause a significant bronchospasm and lead to asthma. And if uh, if the patient is having a bronchospasm to certain things like this or a bee sting, then they need to have something like epinephrine. You know, they need to have the EpiPen so Mm -hmm. that they can inject themselves and try to reverse all that right away. Because yeah. that can be fatal as well. Well, that seems scary right there. I mean, to me, if you get stung once and then you got to sting yourself with a needle, I mean, but that you saved your life, that. right? <laughs> right away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't if, bother with anything. Just, you know, just, go through. Just grab it and punch. Because <laughs> you may not have time. If you think, oh, let me clean my skin. Where's the alcohol wipe? It may right. be too late. Right. Well, I guess if you have a bee sting allergy, you, you know what to do with those. Yep. They, they, you kind of explain that along the ways, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So and if uh, with asthma, 
Now, is that something like if someone comes into you and they have asthma, do you do you teach them the uh, proper way to use the inhaler and all that stuff? Is there a, is there like a class or something? Uh, there is not a class, but a lot of the companies now have little videos or DVDs that they will give the patients. We also like to actually watch the patient do it once uh, because, you know, you had the handheld inhalers. Now you have the Respimit. Uh, so things change. So as the manufacturers change the packaging, it is good to have the patient do it in front of you mm -hmm. because uh, if you're using the handheld device, they have to sort of press the pump and take a sharp inhalation while if they are using a respimate device, then they have to just uh, uh, press and then take a slow inhale. So it l it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. uh, so the devices change as, as time goes by. So it is a good idea for the patient to come to the office and, and show us how they are using it. Right. Uh, 30 to 40% of the time, the elderly do not use their inhalers properly. So I would encourage families to pay attention to that aspect in the care of uh, their loved ones. Yeah. Uh, also, when you're using a handheld device, you have to shake it, uh, you have to take a puff, and then you have to wait for a few minutes because there's a pump in it, and you have to wait for the pump to prime. Uh, but if you're just pump, pump, then the pump doesn't have enough time to prime, and you're not getting the meter dose that you're supposed to get. Mm -hmm. So those are important things to consider in treatment of asthma. And uh, you were talking about the elderly having problems with it, but I was wondering about the packaging. Is that something on those, on the inhalers, are they, do you have to twist them, or is it something that they have problems with opening, or, you know, getting them open? Some patients do, especially if they have severe arthritis of their fingers. They may have a hard time in twisting uh, because some of the d devices require that we twist for the second dose. Uh, it can only twist in one direction, but uh, when, when the device twists, there's a little uh, needle and it punctures the pouch inside the inhaler, and that's how the medication is released. Uh, but I think 99% of the patients are able to, to do it mm -hmm. by themselves. And if they do, uh, when, when and again, this is especially more common, I would imagine, with elderly. If There's there's no way that they can overdose on a inhaler type thing, or is there? Uh, it's hard to overdose. Yeah. Uh, if you are using uh, repeatedly albuterol every hour on the hour, then yeah, you could. I was but, just thinking because if they forget, mm -hmm. you know, that they had taken mm -hmm. or they had done mm -hmm. it or whatever, mm -hmm. and then they, you know, just continually do it, mm -hmm. I didn't know if it was something that, you know, that they could have problems, you know, that would stem from that. They could have a problem with the rapid heart rate, but that would be about it. Mm -hmm. But because this is... Uh, uh, when a medication is inhaled, it is absorbed very quickly in your body, and then we also get rid of it pretty fast. Mm -hmm. That's just how metabolically it is. It is hard to get toxic doses of it. Yeah, and then the long-lasting uh, ones, mm -hmm. then usually you said you, you just take that once a day? Once and a day, yeah. Once a day. Yep. The long-acting uh, bronchodilators, you don't need to take it twice a day. So do you do that? Is that something you do? Do you just wake up in the morning and like your other medicine, you just take it right yep. then? Yes. You don't wait for a problem to occur? No, no. When you're So there's a rescue inhaler, which is... a bronchodilator that's short acting you use it if you're having a problem but then you have maintenance inhaler so 
your maintenance therapy, whatever it is, you know, be it a steroid or be it a long-acting bronchodilator or be it uh, another agent, you take it on a regular basis, just like you would take your high blood pressure medication. Mm -hmm. And that's where patient education becomes very important. And especially in children, because it would be multiple people are involved in the care of that child. Because the child is at home, then the child is at school, then the child is, you know, in daycare or activities or different places. So it is important to have that approach for patient education. And one of the things that we've been talking about this whole this whole show, we've talked about children and we've talked about elderly, but asthma is something that can affect anybody at any age, yes, right? And, and it's actually a disease of children more than it is of adults. Okay, but it but it can go into adulthood yes. where mm-hmm. people in their thirties, twenties, forties, they can have it too. And it can happen to anybody anytime. So let's say you're fifty year old, you have never had asthma, but you can suddenly have asthma. Mm. So. And one of the most common causes of adult-induced asthma is reflux disease, actually, and obesity, and you know those things also can cause asthma at a much later age than they would in children. Wow. Uh, patient education, of course, remains very, very important. Uh, patient education should be integrated into every aspect of asthma care. So all members of the healthcare team, which is nurse, pharmacist, respiratory therapists, should provide education. Clinicians should also teach uh, patients asthma self-management based on basic facts. You know, have they been on steroids? Have they been intubated in the past? Have they needed IV medication versus just oral medication? Uh, Treatment goals should be developed for the patient as well as for the family. It's also a good idea for patients to have a written individualized daily self-management plan, especially when things are out of control. Several well-validated asthma action plans are available and are key in management of asthma. Uh, So ACT is a website, uh, asthma control test, or asthma therapy assessment questionnaire. These are all valuable tools for family and patients. Mm -hmm. And is this something that the... The family, obviously, with a with a young child, the family is going to be very active in it, also. But I mean, when you're when you're up in you know your age, if you're in your mid middle forties or fifties, mm-hmm. is it something that the entire family can get in on? Probably not. I think family involvement is important in the very young or the very old. Mm-hmm. But you know, people in the middle should be able to handle it. It yeah. is not that complicated to manage it. Yeah, and it's just something that the the main thing that we want to stress today is if you are having any of these uh, symptoms that we were talking about, once Mm -hmm. again, you said wheezing. Cough, chest discomfort, shortness shortness of of breath, breath. feeling of uh, something gripping your chest wall, uh, feeling tired, you know, having to sit down after exercising, all these are indications of Mm -hmm. asthma. And then go in and uh, see your doctor and be checked out and get. Now, do you, when you go in to do that, do you just say you just want a, an examination, or do you say, "I think I have asthma, and this is what"? You can say that, or you can say what problem you're having. I'm having coughing, or I I feel I do, I'm not getting enough air, or say I'm feeling short of breath. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to explain what you're really feeling. Yeah. You know, asthma is sort is a diagnosis, but as physicians, we like to know what's really going on with you. So it would be good if you, if the patient is able to say what really they are feeling. And that's one of the things that we really hope that this show gets you out. And we hope that you talk to your doctor. 
That's yes. the thing. You want to communicate. You yeah. can't go in there and just have them. You, you guys are great, but you're not magic, right? No. And, and <laughs> you're not we, mind readers. And <laughs> we are we are a team. So if the patients don't tell us, we will not know how right. to how to treat them. So it is very important that we are we remember that we are a team. We work together. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> for <right>. better health. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, with that, we will say thank you very much to Dr. Rashmin Juneja for Michigan Primary Care Partners in Big Rapids and MichiganPrimaryCarePartners.com. I'm Rob Bennett. This is News Radio WBRN, sponsored by Metron of Big Rapids, caring for people one person at a time. Talk Medicine is a paid medical program which does not reflect the opinions of the management and staff of WBRN and the Big Rapids Radio Network.